Hi, my name is Lars-Erik Lundin and I'm now developing yet another podcast coming back to a topic which I dealt with a lot a couple of years ago before I started the inquiry on the nuclear ban treaty. Uh, I wrote a book in 2015 about the EU and security and I worked a lot on staff training in the EU on the way forward for the European Common Foreign and Security Policy and in particular on the uh, of course European Security and Defense Policy where I have been active over more than 15 years in the European Commission and later as EU Ambassador in the EU External Action Service after the entry into force of the uh, Lisbon Treaty 2009-2010. What is um, important to note here that there have been two strategies underpinning EU action during these two decades. The first one in 2003 on uh, the European security strategy which was drafted in more uh, promising times uh, where uh, essentially the tone of the strategy was uh, optimistic and uh, mainly focus on the intergovernmental side of uh, European Union action, the one which is supported by consensus decisions among member states. Uh, the European Union global strategy, which after a long hesitation among member states was promulgated in 2015, is another a more differentiated strategy, uh, more uh, in a sense more uh, realistic, uh, focusing on the need to get the EU action uh, together, uh, working both with uh, what member states can bring to the table and what is invested into the common European uh, structures, including funding on the, on the community side. It took a long time before member states could agree and to, to accept such an approach, but it has turned out to be extremely necessary, of course, in the last years, as we have seen with migration, with Ukraine, uh, with all the different challenges that have uh, uh, faced the European Union. And uh, against this background, it's perhaps useful for those who are not so... Uh, automatically inclined to go through large documents uh, in the EU uh, websites to have a look together with me on the uh, uh, review of the European Union Global Strategy three years on, uh, looking forward, which has <coughs> just been published uh, after the Foreign Affairs meeting uh, the other day in Brussels. Um, by the External Action Service. It is sort of a testament from the uh, High Representative and Vice President of the Commission, Federica Mogherini, after her work for five years, as she is now soon leaving her post. Uh, but it's also a forward-looking document. It may seem, particularly in the summary, as uh, somewhat self-congratulatory, but as uh, one can uh, clearly see when you go through the around 50 pages of the document, um, there is a lot of substance in it. And uh, it is useful also for individual EU member states looking at their situation, not least in view of the 
situation with the United States at present, uh, the uncertainties in the cooperative framework with the US in view of the challenges uh, from both Russia and China, and in view of Brexit to see what can uh, the European Union bring to the table in support of national security strategies of individual EU member states, including Sweden, my own country, which is now in the uh, uh, coming years going to look at, uh, of course, uh, how the current national security strategy of Sweden should be updated. Uh, it is a document from 2017 and we are in the Royal Swedish Academy of War Sciences currently engaged in developing our view on this uh, from uh, a security policy perspective focusing both on civil defense, uh, military defense, but also wider foreign policy and security policy action. So this uh, podcast is uh, developed in two versions. One is the, uh, uh, the one where you can listen to the whole thing and uh, I will just uh, try to speak in a way which uh, doesn't uh, assume that you have the document in front of you. But there is also a YouTube version of the, of the document uh, of the podcast which gives you uh, a more direct uh, illustration to what I'm talking about. I will use uh, three colors uh, on the screen illustrating what I'm talking about. The green color will, uh, will illustrate what has already been done. Uh, the blue color will illustrate what is proposed to be done in the coming period as new leaders come to the uh, to the uh, uh, office, uh, including a new uh, president of uh, the European Commission, a new president of the Council, a new high representative. Uh, this is, uh, podcast is being recorded in June 2019, so this is just before the uh, taking of office of the new European Parliament as well, I think on the 2nd of July. Um, Looking at um, this document, it is uh, striking that there are uh, some quite important concepts which uh, need to be kept in mind, which have developed gradually over the last years and uh, which are now firmly in incorporated into the uh, new document. And I will scroll the document through so that you can follow it and you don't have to read for it yourself. Uh, you can uh, perhaps uh, get a quick understanding of uh, what the document is all about and more concrete understanding of its uh, content. So this is a three-year report. It's uh, a document, of course, which was uh, promulgated in 2015, uh, but which was followed up with a number of, uh, of uh, specific action plans in different areas. The key word here was the ever more connected and uh, uh, contested and, and uh, complex world. That was uh, the situation that the EU was facing in 2014-15 uh, as this was uh, promulgated, focusing on the security of the Union, uh, global governance, uh, resilience, which is a very important uh, a concept in the in the strategy, 
um, which has its importance, for instance, in the context of migration. The idea being that uh, uh, partner countries to the EU, particularly to the south, uh, should uh, have a ch chance to manage their own situation without leading to enormous migration to, to the neighboring countries and to the EU. The integrated approach uh, was previously the notion of the comprehensive approach, which means that uh, there will be a number of uh, linked up uh, approaches, uh, bringing together internal and external security, etc. So the idea is it should be a credible, responsive and joined up union. Then there is an annex which I recommend to read because it contains a number of important tables uh, which gives you a brief summary of uh, what has been done in practice in the various areas. There is a foreword uh, noting that this is not a theoretical exercise see the European Union as a global point of reference, focusing on the European Union security and defense policy, but also on common industrial and research projects. Previously, uh, this kind of strategy would not be able to include what was done through the Commission. Clearly, the resources and services of the European Commission have been fully integrated into into the, uh, uh, into the strategy and uh, I would say that after five years uh, there is a completely different view of what the European Commission should and could do in the context of uh, security and defense than was the case when I was active uh, until 2011. There is this continued focus on multilateralism and partners and there is a stress that this is not just an issue of soft power, which is uh, traditionally associated with the EU. Again, focus on multilateralism and then uh, working again on the issue of financial instruments, a concrete uh, context where you work, Syria, Libya, Afghanistan. And uh, there, there are some recommendations, although of course not so many in the document. Uh, one can expect that any new high representative or president of the Commission or president of the Council will come up with their own suggestions uh, for the way ahead. And typically this is done in also a certainly uh, in a certain way a more a critical approach, a critical response than, than you can do having worked with the issue for five years. The point of departure, as I said, was a connected, contested and complex world with a fragmented distribution of power, uh, problems related to non-proliferation arms control, of course, backdrop, financial crisis 2008-2009, transnational uh, challenges, climate, demography, getting older in Europe, digitalization, uh, with, which needs multilateral action supporting sustainable development. Uh, the global strategy was promulgated almost uh, immediately after the Brexit uh, vote was made in the U UK, uh, setting the stage for uh, withdrawal of the UK from, 
from the European Union. Um, from Sweden, it's interesting to note that the two persons sitting to the uh, to the uh, left on the picture here are, of course, the Swedish Foreign Minister and Swedish Defense Minister. It's an interesting picture because it shows that there is a unity of action affecting individual member states. Um, <clears throat> so, a shared agenda uh, focusing on five priorities, security of the Union, resilience to the East and South, and as we will see, it's mainly to the South. The focus is mainly to the South in this uh, strategy. It dealing with conflicts and crises, cooperative regional orders, and global governments. Uh, so the idea is again credible, responsive, and joined up union. Um, there is a progress uh, uh, recorded uh, turning the strategy's vision into concrete action, European security and defense, the Western Balkans perspective, the nuclear deal with Iran, although we can clearly see that that is under very heavy uh, attack, the step change in partnership with Africa, uh, proposals have been made to scale up financial resources, um, there is a lot of work on communication, including disinformation, and the notion of autonomous action, although still in cooperation with partners is a very central one in the strategy, not least on the defense side. And it's all based upon a development over the last five years, not least after Brexit, showing that Europeans in general uh, support the EU perhaps even more than before, uh, particularly as I mentioned after uh, uh, Brexit. Looking at the security of the Union, which was the first priority of the uh, strategy, there was uh, the definition of what is called a new level of ambition, three overarching objectives, crisis management, building security and defense capacities, and protecting the EU itself. Uh, this is important uh, to make this distinction, because crisis management is an operational concept, including both civilian and military. Uh, action. Uh, security and defense capacities include a lot of work also on the, uh, on the uh, uh, issues that are uh, and the capacities which are relevant for territorial defense. And protecting the EU itself, of course, involves a cross-pillar, what is, would in the past be called a cross-pillar approach in supporting internal security in the EU. And, uh, of course, there is an internal security strategy for the EU as well. Looking at the operational capabilities, we don't see uh, a lot, uh, basically. It's not a very impressive uh, figure to say that you have 4,000 people uh, deployed uh, worldwide. Already the OSCE has over 2,000 uh, deployed in its missions inside the uh, OSCE area of applications. And the UN is, of course, much, much bigger. So that's not the big thing here. Uh, the, the, um, there are a number of other things which are more important for interoperability and getting the EU action together, generally, which we'll come back to in this uh, podcast. There is a, a more coherent uh, staff work going on. There is a, 
permanent structured cooperation uh, developed, uh, which is focusing on defense investment cooperation and operational readiness among the and there are, there are already 25 participating member states here. There is a European Defense Fund supposed to create a real financial incentives uh, for uh, systematic defense industrial cooperation in research and capability development. And I personally believe that this is a quite important development uh, since the fragmentation of resources in the EU on, uh, uh, on defense uh, various uh, tanks and uh, artillery pieces and so on are duplicated and, and anything that can be done into, in order to reduce fragmentation here will clearly bring much more effectiveness from the perspective of the taxpayer. Then there is a European a peace facility uh, which uh, should fund the common costs of uh, defense operations and contribute to the financing of military peace support operations. This is uh, also very important. Started with uh, uh, the African uh, peace facilities many years back, but has now been broadened to become a more generic uh, uh, financial uh, fund. Uh, as an example, they put in here the fact that uh, on, in terms of operations, uh, we are now down from 176 attacks in uh, pirate attacks outside uh, the Horn of Africa in 2011, just down to four uh, uh, and failed attacks in 2018. Of course, one can argue to what extent this is a result of EU action. This is a global cooperative endeavor, and also what uh, private security firms are doing on on board ships is of course clearly very very important. Then you have the operation of Sofia in the Mediterranean which deals with uh, migrant smugglers and human traffickers. Um, it's a, it's a, an interesting and important uh, operation from many perspectives since uh, the question has been raised to what extent this operation helps to uh, project the image of the European uh, Union as a, a humanitarian actor that you would wish to see. Then we have the even more problematic relationship, of course, with Libya and, and the, its neighboring Coast Guard, which is uh, probably infiltrated to a certain extent by, by uh, those who also promote uh, uh, smuggling and uh, human trafficking. So. This is not a simple, um, the evaluation of our missions, uh, the EU missions, is not a simple matter and needs uh, a careful and critical approach. And uh, this is clearly one central issue coming up for the, for the coming years, to what extent international operations developed by the EU itself or in cooperation with NATO will help, um, whether securitization of certain uh, humanitarian development and other problems in the southern neighborhood and eastern neighborhood, to what extent that should be met through international military operations. So that's one problematic area which is not very much uh, discussed in the strategy itself, but uh, ne clearly needs to be discussed. And uh, one would wish to see more careful uh, and critical evaluation documents coming up on this point, 
in the in the coming year or so before new strategies are uh, further developed. Uh, another focus has been on uh, hybrid threats. Uh, uh, clearly, uh, a very interesting area for where the EU has considerable comparative advantage, uh, uh, given the fact that uh, there is such a broad and differentiated cooperation in many technical areas among EU member states. There is also the cooperation between EU and, and NATO, uh, which is underpinning this. Uh, joint work on military mobility is another case in point, where, where you can help to uh, bring the resources of the uh, civilian society in support of, uh, for instance, making it possible to transport military vehicles on roads, etc. You have the issue of cyber and maritime security, all areas where the EU as a whole has important comparative advantage. Intelligence support to decision-making, as mentioned. Interoperability is, of course, a key issue, uh, strengthening also the, the capabilities of uh, territorial defense in Europe. There is a recognition that member states have only a single set of forces that they use in different contexts, being in NATO, being in the EU, be it in support of the United Nations or the OSCE. And then the reference to the European Defence and Technological Industrial Base is also important. This is a, what one would have called in the past a cross-pillar issue in the EU, where the Commission has a very important role. Technology and cyber, yet another area where the EU has a strong comparative advantage. Uh, in this context, uh, there is a table uh, showing uh, 34 new defense cooperation projects, including, uh, for instance, uh, cooperation on drones, on disaster relief capability, on maritime surveillance, and men cyber, etc., etc. And uh, then another table which illustrates what I just said about military mobility which deals, for instance, with uh, infrastructure not suitable for the weight or size of military assets, which is a useful uh, mapping of, uh, of roads, etc., and, and bridges and others, uh, uh, forms for uh, infrastructure, where the EU, of course, has a, a, a very, very important comparative advantage giving its uh, transport networks. Uh, there is a discussion of financial support for dual-use civilian military infrastructure projects, which is uh, also has a significant funding uh, for the coming years, as proposed, uh, 6.5 billion euros. Let's see how much is actually approved. Uh, the, uh, the expediting cross-border movement permissions is an issue which I myself was involved with uh, already from the beginning of the year 2000 when we were discussing how to make it possible for, for uh, countries to move uh, different types of equipments and personnel across borders, which used already in those years to be a quite bureaucratic and difficult exercise. The um, next chapter of the, uh, of the review of the global strategy deals with global governance and cooperative regional orders for promoting and strengthening multilateralism, 
the fact that the EU has stepped up its funding support for the UN system, uh, focusing on climate change, uh, sustainable development agenda uh, 2030, etc. Uh, deepening multilateralism also has an important uh, um, dimension in the political and trade agreements that uh, the EU is uh, trying to pursue uh, with lots of disappointments but also progress with Mercosur, Mexico, Chile, Australia, New Zealand, Jap Jap Canada and Japan etc. Uh, finding a way to promote uh, partnership approaches in the area of migrations and refugees, uh, on ocean governance, impact for environment, also working on human rights together with other countries and regions has been important. Uh, the progress in cooperation with NATO has been significant. Uh, whereas the cooperation with the United States, of course, has to be described in more, in more moderate terms, to say the least. Um, where the, the scope for cooperation with the United States has been become significantly limited in the last uh, years. Uh, there is a specific mention of the Western Balkans, uh, and now uh, one can say that there is a little bit more energy and optimism into the uh, enlargement uh, approach on the Western Balkans, uh, seeing the Western Balkans countries as an integral part of the EU's own regional uh, space. Uh, this is not uh, an easy uh, issue. It deals not just with um, the problem of North Macedonia, the uh, problem of uh, how, how one can integrate for Albania, uh, but also, of course, what will happen with Serbia and even more difficult with, uh, with Bosnia and solving the issue with Kosovo. Uh, member states are, as illustrated by the last foreign affairs meeting in, in uh, uh, Brussels, uh, still hesitant to move very quickly forward in these areas. Um, there is also reference to the Middle East and North, North Africa and EU partnerships with uh, regional organizations. Uh, the Eastern Partnership, um, uh, mentioning the, the uh, association agreements uh, with Georgia, Moldova and Ukraine. Um, and uh, we have the problem of Turkey, of course, uh, which is uh, described uh, in uh, rather neutral terms, uh, talking about the successful cooperation. Behind that, of course, uh, is the uh, important migration deal, uh, but there are also many uh, disappointments in this area. And uh, even if there is a high-level political dialogue, there are, of course, significant divergences of views uh, which are also affecting uh, cooperation inside NATO. The development of the EU-African partnership is also important, uh, which includes a number of sub-regional uh, uh, cooperative endeavors. References to support to the peace process in Afghanistan is given a special table. Uh, again, this behind this table is, of course, a, a very much more problematic situation 
in Afghanistan again. There is a reference and a table on the contact group on Venezuela as a, as a good case in point of, of uh, coming together on a specific uh, uh, problematic situation. References to EU partnership with Asia, um, Latin America, post-Cotonou agreements, and Russia, Arctic. Uh, what, what strikes uh, there is the absence of um, a very uh, significant effort in, su in support of a coordinated approach in the EU relationship to China which uh, already in early years was a, a sticky point in the discussion about the European Union strategic priorities. A summary analysis of what more can be done, four strands of action are mentioned, uh, reform multilateralism with different groups of countries in different contexts, uh, different uh, constellations uh, like in the climate agreement in Paris in 2015, 15, uh, changing somewhat later. There are cyber dialogues, uh, technological panels, regional dialogues, foreign with youth, etc. A regional multilateralism approach is also there, uh, working with the African Union, ASEAN, etc. Smart multilateralism is also mentioned. Uh, the e European Union, UN, African Union trilateral partnership is also mentioned in a, a uh, specific table. Um, and then, of course, the issue of intra-EU coordination of multilateralism is key. Uh, has to do with how the EU works in international organizations, where, of course, uh, very significant progress has taken place in the 20-25 years in which I have uh, participated and observed developments from a very limited cooperation on the most uh, sort of intergovernmental issues uh, in the EU, led by a rotating EU presidency, towards uh, a situation where the EU, as an institutions, as institutions, speak on behalf of the European Union in many, many different multilateral contexts. Um, the issue of resilience is that that's a, that's a concept that has dominated the, the approach to, uh, to um, uh, not least the southern dimension in the EU global strategy and the follow-up action plans, uh, combined with the, what was previously called the comprehensive approach to security, now called the integrated approach, based on sub-regional and regional strategies focusing on strengthening the resilience of states and societies. Uh, and this, of course, is related to the issue of uh, fragility and conflict. And the notion of principal pragmatism is something which was developed by, uh, by the current high representative as a notion which should bring some modesty and uh, pragmatism into the approach, um, which by many has been interpreted to mean that uh, one must and should also cooperate with countries which do not uphold all the principles and values that uh, form the core of EU cooperation. Uh, 
this does not, as said, noted here, uh, mean supporting stability by condoning authoritarianism. Uh, state and societal resilience can only go ha hand in hand. Uh, this also involves uh, fighting violent extremism, terrorism, strategic communication and civil society support. Here is an important discourse, of course, to what extent one would like to securitize many of these issues, how uh, terrorism best can be tackled. An important, I would say, uh, table on the integrated approach in the Sahel, where there has been a Sahel strategy, these are the countries with, uh, uh, to the south of the Maghreb countries, Mauritania, Malia, Niger and Chad, an enormous area. Of course, Mali is already uh, uh, the size of Spain and France together. Uh, and uh, there is, uh, has been a long period of uh, development of a coherent approach to this, including political partnership, security and stability support, development cooperation, including 8 billion euros over the last uh, five-year period. Uh, <clears throat> so there, that's a very important uh, concrete example. The integrated approach uh, was focused as it developed under the previous high representative under the name of the comprehensive uh, approach. Um, <clears throat> it was focusing on the security development uh, nexus, but has been moved beyond that by developing a holistic approach to conflicts, uh, bearing in mind that their identity, humanitarian, socio-economic, security, environmental and energy dimensions need to be taken into account. And there is need uh, to look at it from a, in a, over time, looking at the preventive phase, the crisis management phase and the peace-building phases. Uh, this is a, a very, very important issue, which um, of course ideally should focus both on lessons learned and looking forward into uh, the, the proposed end state uh, uh, far into the future. And uh, where uh, the EU still has a lot of work to do, as do all international institutions, in uh, being honest with itself about what it has done and what it can do for the future and what are the important measurements of success. The conflict prevention uh, discourse is uh, still uh, alive and uh, kicking, a uh, very important uh, concept which was developed in the EU and used in the EU as it was in the OEC and the UN uh, from the late 90s. Uh, making use, full use of the EU toolbox is something which has, uh, has uh, developed considerably over the years uh, and, and uh, of course includes many dimensions from mediation and so on. And here uh, clearly the, the uh, mobilization of um, uh, the gender uh, dimension of uh, EU work is clearly very, very important. Uh, we have moved from a perspective of discussing the role of women, children and elderly in, as objects, of, as victims of uh, conflicts to an approach of uh, mobilizing everyone into uh, solving and, and dealing with the challenges facing the EU.
uh, a very ambitious approach for the future, uh, proposing uh, an increase of 30 billion uh, to devote to foreign policy and defense, something which is uh, being analyzed very critically by member states. There is a proposed uh, single neighborhood development and international cooperation instruments, uh, so ever more generic in, uh, ge geographic uh, instruments, thematic instruments, rather than the uh, fragmented uh, picture that was uh, provided in the past. This is not only uh, unproblematic and good, it's also a question where you constantly have to discuss to what extent specific needs, for instance, mine action and so on, small arms and other things like that, uh, for, are forgotten in, in the, this uh, overall uh, huge frameworks. An important uh, uh, table in the document uh, shows how the EU works with countering disinformation uh, with uh, different uh, key pillars of the action plan. Um, there is another joined uh, up approach analysis of the humanitarian development peace nexus, the internal external nexus, and uh, the cooperation inside the EU and inside the European Commission with the Commissioner's Group on External Action. So the different ways to get the EU action together. There is a, a very important table on migration partnership going all the way from addressing root causes to um, uh, returning migrants to their home uh, through the EU-IUM joint initiative. The, another joined up approach is on the economic political security nexus. There is a climate and security nexus. So there are different uh, ways to bring the EU uh, together. Uh, including, of course, uh, promoting member state coordination in practice. So, uh, in summary, the EU uh, global strategy and the high representative uh, puts uh, the suggestion that the EU in the years ahead can advance the security of the Union by deepening its work on intelligence, strategic culture, interoperability, command and control, defense cooperation, technology and cyber, civilian military CSTP and access to routes and networks. This is a, of course a, a very, very ambitious uh, program, uh, and, but the potential should not uh, be underestimated. Another vector proposed for action is uh, to promote and protect multilateralism, support regional cooperative uh, orders. A third is to continue to work on the resilience of states. And the fourth is to uh, uh, develop further the political and financial investment in external action. And uh, then finally, uh, almost finally, we come to the notion of autonomy, uh, which is a central uh, concept for many uh, of the member states, such as France, focusing on uh, uh, the notion that a more autonomous EU is one which is more able to act 
together with these partners wherever possible, but alone when necessary. And then in the annex of the, uh, of the document, there are a number of tables which give a lot of important uh, illustrations. The single command center for EU military missions, an overview of actual European Union CSTP missions and operations in 2019, uh, a, a table on the permanent structured cooperation, PESCO, uh, a table on the European Defense Fund and European Peace Facility, a table on the coordinated annual review on defense, uh, a table on the new civilian compact, compact uh, covering the 2000 staff currently serving in 10 EU civilian missions, um, a table describing what has been achieved in cooperation between EU and NATO, a table on how to counter hybrid and cyber threats and what the what the EU has done in the period on this, a table on state and societal resilience, uh, taking the example of the Western Balkans uh, on its road to the EU path uh, with, uh, with significant uh, statistics to underpin this uh, notion. The EU external investment plan is another table, uh, particularly focusing on Africa. Linking humanitarian aid and development, combining emergency humanitarian aid and long-term development cooperation, uh, using the example of, of Yemen. Support to climate resilience, uh, 20 billion uh, EU and member states investment, just in 2017 in public climate uh, finance. And um, deepening relations with youth and civil society, uh, supporting human rights defenders, for instance. Integrated approach to conflicts and crises, uh, with examples from Ukraine, 14 billion support package. Uh, integrated approach to the Sahel, with the 2.3 million people in the region benefiting from EU actions. Support to the Colombia peace process, long-term engagement with Iraq, EU response to the Syrian conflict with 6.2 billion euros, and uh, a summary of what the EU has done in the Syrian crisis, including uh, support to Lebanon, support to Turkey, support in Jordan. Cooperative regional orders, the Eastern Partnership, uh, and uh, partnership with Africa, regional cooperation in the Middle East and North Africa, a strategic approach to Asia, a more integrated Central Asia, there is a new strategy out there, investing in friendship with Latin America, with lots of statistics. And of course, uh, the global governance for the 21st century with the EU support to the United Nations. 
focusing on what the Swedish Commission has been doing, uh, Cecilia Malmström, the new generation of trade and political agreements, EU-Canada agreement, EU-Japan agreement. Altogether, 72 uh, trade agreements in, in force. The Iran deal, uh, of course, um, uh, a problematic uh, uh, process, now very much under attack. And uh, the climate deal, uh, Paris Agreement and the 2030 Agenda. Digital diplomacy and uh, having an internal external nexus on migration, uh, looking at the EU Trust Fund for Africa, uh, strategic communications in foreign policy, uh, strengthening areas or uh, cooperation on, on counterterrorism, economic and cultural diplomacy, and looking at uh, developing a smarter budget for EU foreign policy. And here, of course, there are significant numbers. Neighborhood policy proposed 22 billion for the coming period, 32 billion for Sub Saharan Africa, 10 billion for Asian Pacific, 4 billion for Americas and Caribbean, 500 million for overseas countries and territories, including Greenland and for the uh, enlargement pre-accession assistance, 14.5 billion euros. Let's see how much of this is actually uh, approved by EU member states. Uh, again, the notion is to merge most foreign policy funding instruments into one single instrument, uh, and a proposal to increase the overall external action body to 123 billion euros for the period 21 to 27. So that's the end of this uh, podcast. Again, what strikes me is the absence of uh, systematic references to the role of uh, of uh, partners uh, such as China. Uh, the notion that the EU had a number of strategic partners which was very uh, uh, prominent in earlier uh, documents in, in the beginning of the decade is now almost uh, gone. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, clearly it will be easier to follow on the YouTube version. But there will be more on this, particularly as we continue to discuss in Sweden also the development of our own national security strategy. Thank you for listening. You are listening to an e-learning light podcast produced by Lars-Erik Lundin for Lundin och Becklund AB. Copyright. On and around the topic of Europe and security. Please do subscribe on the Lars-Erik Lundin channels on SoundCloud or YouTube. Thank you. Also, do visit the elilundin.org website and follow on at Londil on Twitter.